Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And in this month's episode, we're going to be talking about male body image. Right, this has been on our agenda for a while because body image concerns among men and boys can often be overlooked. It's too easy to automatically go straight to girls and women when we think about body image concerns. But we know from a growing body of research, as well as from personal stories, that men can also experience body image concerns, leading some men to engage in unhealthy behaviours in order to control their weight and level of muscularity. Crucially, body image concerns can manifest differently among men and boys, compared to women and girls, which is why we decided we needed to dedicate this episode to male body image. Right, and to help us unpack the topic of male body image and uncover some of the unique challenges men and boys face in relation to their appearance, we're going to be joined by Dr Scott Griffiths, a body image and eating disorder expert from the University of Melbourne in Australia, and Kelvin Davis, a body positive model, fashion blogger and Instagrammer from South Carolina in America. What an exciting guest combo. And just before we get started, we would like to dedicate this episode in honour of Professor Lena Riccardelli, a body image researcher from Deakin University in Australia, who sadly passed away earlier this year. Lena made an extraordinary contribution to the body image field, particularly in relation to understanding body image in men and boys. For our academic listeners who research body image, you're bound to have read and cited Riccardelli and McCabe many times in your career. Neither Jade nor I knew her personally, but she was a good colleague, friend and research collaborator to many people at CAR. She was also a keynote speaker at our fourth Appearance Matters conference and a visiting scholar at CAR. And actually we had a special CAR cake and coffee morning in her memory back in March and from all accounts she sounded like a whole lot of fun. So thinking of her, let's get started with this episode. Today's quote, ideal male body, as portrayed by Western media at least, is simultaneously hyperlean and hypermuscular. Yeah, it's supposedly all about that V-shaped bod, so broad shoulders, big chest and biceps, a six-pack, but also a slim waist and hips. Basically, the media's ideal for men is to have muscles on show and very little body fat. Right, so unsurprisingly, many men are dissatisfied with both their percentage of body fat and their degree of muscularity. In a paper published in 2007 by researchers at UCLA and led by David Frederick, one study found over 90% of US male undergraduate students wanted to be more muscular and between 50-70% to of American men reported that they were unhappy with their level of body fat. That paper is interesting because actually in another study done by the same authors, they report cultural differences with approximately 50% of men from Ghana and 70% of men from Ukraine, expressing to wanting to be more muscular, reflecting the widespread desire for increased muscularity among men. Right, and in the general discussion, the authors speculate why there might be cultural differences between the men from the US and the men from Ghana wanting to be more muscular. So just as a quick recap, we had 90% of American men reporting that they wanted to be more muscular, compared to actually 50% of Ghanaian men. Exactly. So one idea they had is that they write, it is our impression that Ghanaian men were typically more muscular than most college-age students in the US so they may already have achieved their desired level of muscularity. So the Ghanaian men were just more muscular in the first place, basically. Yeah, that's what they speculated. Right. They also speculated about the influence of Western media, which really emphasises the desirability of uh, men to be more muscular, and and maybe the US men are more subjected to that. Mm. Um, But based on this study, we can't really make any big conclusions because there are just 37 men from Ghana actually included in this particular study. 
It's really important to look at the details in these studies, like how many people participated in the research actually before we start to draw big conclusions about them. Yeah, so this is where meta-analyses can be useful. And a meta-analysis, remember, is when researchers analyse data across a collection of studies, investigating the same thing to try and draw either a single conclusion or findings across a whole body of evidence. Right, so a meta-analysis by Christopher Bartlett and colleagues in 2008 analysed the data from 25 correlational and experimental studies looking at the impact of viewing media images featuring the male muscular ideal on adolescent boys and young men and found that on average... Viewing these images made men feel worse about their bodies and that perceived appearance pressure from the media was also related to lower self-esteem, low mood and excessive exercise. And actually this supports the tripartite model that we've spoken about before on the podcast where social factors, including pressure from the media to look a certain way, are internalised which means you believe that looking that way is the most attractive and that if you look like that you will be happier more successful etc and then the second part of the model is appearance comparisons where you compare your own appearance to the idealized images that you see and then most likely find yourself falling short of those right and longitudinal research which is where participants are followed over a prolonged period of time led by friend of the podcast and now associate professor at san diego state university dr gerald calzo and colleagues found boys desire for bigger muscles increase slightly each year across adolescence. They also found general weight and shape concerns also increased with age during adolescence. Oh, and plus, this study noted differences in men's body image concerns based on their sexuality. Bear with me while I try and explain this properly. So, gay and bisexual participants had a stronger desire for toned muscles than heterosexual men. Sexual minority men were 20% less likely to attempt to try to gain weight than heterosexual participants, and gay and bisexual men experienced more weight and shape concerns than heterosexual males. This study supports lots of other research as well, which suggests that gay and bisexual men often experience more body image concerns than their straight peers. Um, We actually have a full episode planned on sexual orientation and body image, so we'll talk a bit more about this topic in more depth then. Yeah, definitely. We'll listen out for that later, hopefully this year. Hoping Joe actually can join us on that episode. Mm, that'd be good. Anyway, so the other pressure point that often comes up in relation to why men and boys want to feel more muscular is in relation to masculinity. The idea that men should be emotionally and physically strong, physically fit and dominant. A study by a group of researchers led by Christina Holmvist Gotario at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden including Lena Riccardelli and Carl Philippa Diedrichs, found that conformity to or agreement with traditional Western masculine gender role norms was positively related to men's drive to be more muscular, lean and fit in a sample of men from Australia, Sweden, America and the UK. And when we're talking about masculine norms in research in Western society, this includes things like a need to win, engage in risk-taking, a need for high emotional control, self-reliance and independence. Right, and this research implies that if men internalise, so basically, like I said, believe society's dominant masculine norms, they are more likely to endorse and try to pursue the muscular and lean body ideal. So conformity to masculine norms is another risk factor for body image concerns among men and young men. Right, and masculine norms can cause additional problems for men and boys when it comes to body image concerns. First of all, as we mentioned earlier, people often associate body image problems with a girl's issue, which makes it harder for men and boys to acknowledge that they're struggling or for them to find appropriate support. Then, the other masculine norms, such as self-reliance and emotional control, act as an added barrier to men and boys acknowledging and seeking help for body image concerns and related problems. 
This is where the phrase toxic masculinity comes from. The unique set of pressures men and boys face that make it more challenging for men and boys to admit any vulnerability or weakness. And then the other side of this is that healthcare professionals, providers, friends, family may not look for or pay attention to symptoms of body image concerns or eating problems among men because they too may have internalised or really kind of believe in the idea that body image really is a women's issue. I like that phrase toxic masculinity and that's why it's actually so helpful when male role models speak out about body image concerns. It helps to validate people's struggles and break down that stigma that's so much Mm -hmm. associated with seeking help. Yeah. Um, And celebrities like the singer Sam Smith or actor Matt Gregory from shows like The Orange is the New Black and rugby player Nigel Owens have all spoken out about body image concerns, which is really good. We're also kind of seeing a rise in male body positive influencers, men with popular body positive Instagram accounts encouraging other men of all shapes and sizes just to accept and appreciate their bodies regardless of their relative proximity to the male body image ideal which is basically how far or close they are to the body image ideal that was presented in the media and in our society, like we discussed earlier. And we're very lucky because one of the leaders of the male body positive movement, Calvin Davis, is going to join us later in this episode. Yes, but first let's hear from Dr Scott Griffiths, a male body image and eating disorder expert from Australia. He's currently a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Melbourne to hear more about some of the consequences and kind of the nuance of male body image concerns. I was able to catch up with Scott in person at the International Conference for Eating Disorders in Chicago back in April. Hi Scott, welcome to a Prince Matters podcast. It's great to be here with you today. We're both here in Chicago at the International Conference for Eating Disorders. As you know, we're talking about male body image and I thought you'd be a good person to talk to. So we know that men and boys are often quite quiet when it comes to talking about body image concerns. So based on your research, what are some, like, what are some indicators that a guy might be struggling with his body image? Well, sometimes they'll tell you if you're lucky. Uh-huh. Oftentimes they won't. Or... If they do mention it, they tend to minimize it. They'll use humor to mask Uh it. They'll downplay the intensity of it. Or they'll use words that sort of disguise it. So instead of saying, you know, I'm really upset with the way I look, they might say, oh, yeah, sometimes it gets to me or bothered a little bit some Uh of the time. But you can see it in behaviors Mm -hmm. often. So not wanting to show your body, not wanting to have your shirt off at the beach or mm-hmm. when you go swimming, wearing heavy sweatpants or, or jumpers in places where you might not expect them, like at the gym, mm-hmm. so pushing through, being really hot, uh, even though you've got all these clothes on, you don't want to take them off. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I know you've done a lot of work on eating disorders in men, and one of the terms that we hear about in this context is bigorexia, which I think is muscle dysmorphia, right? So... I wondered if you could say a little bit about what that is and, and again, how what, what to look out for with that kind of thing. Sure. So bigorexia is a, a colourful nickname for, as you said, yeah. muscle dysmorphia. And back in the 90s, a professor at Harvard University, his name is Harrison Pope, mm-hmm. he was looking at bodybuilders who were training right. in California. And he noticed this really unusual pattern of symptoms in a small subgroup of right. these bodybuilders. And... He said they seemed to exhibit a reverse anorexia. So they were obsessed with wanting to be muscular and they were using steroids in order to attain that. And they were preoccupied. It was on their minds for five, six, seven hours a day, each and every day. And it wasn't working for them. They Mm -hmm. were leading very 
impaired and compromised lives. They were very, very upset. And he coined it reverse anorexia and subsequently renamed it to muscle dysmorphia, Mm -hmm. sort of pulled it back from the eating disorders spectrum. And there's been debates ever since about what kind of a disorder this really is. Is it an eating disorder? Is it a body dysmorphic disorder or something else? Mm-hmm. And what do you think? Well, I am not as worried about where it's positioned on the diagnostic spectrum because it's clear that models that apply to eating disorders, body dysmorphic disorder, or even closely related disorders like OCD have relevance. Right. And the treatments all have relevance. And nobody has the weight of evidence to reclassify it any which way. But what is clear is that the eating disorders field is ready and willing to take on muscle dysmorphia, both in including it in conferences like this mm-hmm. one here in Chicago and the willingness of clinicians to see clients with muscle dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. So that's been very yeah. encouraging. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then so we know that men and boys also struggle from eating disorders that we hear about more often in terms of anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. Are risk factors different between muscle dysmorphia and, and those other other eating disorders? The risk factors for muscle dysmorphia and what you might call classical thinness-oriented mm-hmm. disorders, like anorexia yeah. is the, the archetype, are probably not as different as they are similar. So you might have you know, a childhood history of being bullied or teased mm-hmm. or abuse or trauma in early years or having a mother or a father who was particularly critical about appearance or exercise. There are some factors that might predispose you toward developing anorexia as opposed to muscle mm-hmm. dysmorphia, one being gender role conformity. So if you grow up and you're a boy and you tend to conform to traditional masculine norms, that's what's important mm-hmm. to you. Emotional self-control and projecting power and confidence and you know, wanting to be seen as someone who can get girls, for example. You are more likely to develop muscle dysmorphia than someone who is more aligned with what we call traditional feminine norms. Mm-hmm. They are more likely to develop anorexia. And we've shown that in a couple of studies now. And it's interesting, but by and large, I would say that it's a similar set of risk factors that drive both. Uh huh. And then, where do you think the f- field is going in terms of when we're talking about male body image and male eating disorders? What are the priorities, would you say? We are realizing that when we look at models of eating disorders, like the trans diagnostic model, for mm-hmm. example, which says that the underlying set of symptoms here is this overvaluation of eating weight shape, that the intrinsic assumption of that is that what is valued is thinness. Mm-hmm. And that is not the truth. When we're looking at men and boys, they can value both thinness and muscularity. And I think that's increasingly true for women as well. So then you might say, okay, what kind of eating disorder behaviors might arise when the overvaluation is toward muscularity? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for eating disorders? And what do we think an eating disorder is? What is disordered eating and disordered eating behaviors? And we're trying to figure out what that sphere of symptomology looks like. And for me, it's clear that muscle dysmorphia and anabolic steroid use, for example, are the endpoints of that overvaluation of muscularity and trying to accommodate that both in the clinic and in prevention programs and in our diagnostic criteria. That's the real push for research on males, because if it's just left to, say, sex differences in the Mm -hmm. eating disorders we already know, and using symptom measures that we've had around for years, 
I think we're going to miss the much bigger picture. Right, that's really useful. And do you think there's more to be done in terms of having measures to really cater to men and boys better? Like, what's Absolutely. your thoughts on that? So imagine then what muscularity-oriented disordered eating might look like. What kinds of attitudes and behaviours? Even the time course of it is different. So I know of many, many men who've mm-hmm. had muscle dysmorphia and their patterns of eating, which are inarguably disordered, can often follow a pattern of what we call bulking and cutting. Mm -hmm. So for a week, the diet might be geared toward bulking up. That means eating above a calorie target they set for themselves because they're trying to build muscle fast. But then when the weight starts to climb up and there's body fat put on, Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible not to if you're eating um, at a calorie excess to try and gain muscle, the anxiety sets back in because they're moving away from that lean muscularity that they want. And then they go and they cut. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing this bulking and cutting in short periods of time, let's say you're doing it each week, how do you score on an EDEQ, which is a Mm -hmm. 28-day time period, when for seven days you're fiercely restricting, and in the next seven days you're eating five times a day to the point of nausea to try and never not have your stomach be empty. It just messes up the scores. The entire instrument doesn't work in Mm -hmm. the context of the diets that men use to try and gain muscle. And laxatives and diuretics, for example, when we say, how many times have you used laxatives in the past 28 days? Um, It's pretty clear. If you use laxatives five times, we know what that is. Anabolic steroids don't work like that. You can't say that. To say, how many times have you used anabolic steroids in the past 28 days? That number doesn't mean anything because anabolic steroids differ hugely in their strength, in the administration, in the, the dosages, the, the, the types of steroids, what they're combined with. And it's just this layer of measurement complexity that we are still grappling with. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. Thank you. So if there's almost like last like main question, but if there's like one thing or a couple of things that you'd want kind of everyone to know about male body image and, and men with eating disorders, what, what would that be? If there was like, if, I don't know, there's any myth to dispel or... There is no gene in the genetic code of boys and men mm-hmm. that immunizes them from body image pressures. And if we create a society that values men for their appearance, and that is increasingly clear mm-hmm. in many cultures, then body image and eating disorders will manifest in boys and men. And we have to be vigilant to look out for them and not try and make boys and men fit into an existing structure we have for how these look. Because at the moment, and I don't see it changing, what we look, well, I'm not changing in the near term, mm-hmm. how we encourage men and women to look is vastly different. Yeah. And attaining those vastly different types of bodies requires vastly different diets and can entail different things that you ingest. And accommodating that is just tricky. Yeah, yeah, right. I have actually, I have one more question because I think we're seeing more research looking at male body image. And I'm curious to know, like, is that are boys and men's body image concerns increasing or is it just that there's more interest? Like, what, what do you think on that? That's a great question. And I think you could point to multiple papers that have come to different conclusions mm-hmm. about whether or not it's increasing. My opinion is that it is. And you can look at proxy indicators of body dissatisfaction to see that because Mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware, 
there is nothing that would rise to the level of using, say, validated scales of, mm-hmm. of male body image, which has tracked a large enough representative cohort over time for us yeah. to say that it's increasing or decreasing. But we can look at steroid use in Australia, mm-hmm. for example. If you go into a needle exchange, you want to inject drugs in Australia, mm-hmm. you can get them for free in a needle exchange. Anonymous service. But we will ask you, what was the last thing you injected? And we've got this data going back to 1990 all across the country. And from 1990 through to about the mid-2000s, the proportion of individuals who said, yeah, the last thing I injected was steroids, was flat. It was less than 1%. But then nationally, it's jumped up to 7% in just the last 10 years. Mm. And for the last six years, the number one drug injected by new injection drug users in Australia, these are people who are new Mm -hmm. to the entire practice of using drugs, has been anabolic steroids. It's not heroin. It's not crack Mm. cocaine or anything else. And they're not playing sport because we ask them. Yeah. And only 10% play any type of sport. Yeah, so it's not about include, like, boxing, performance and you know hunting I mean? or anything. So then the conclusion left to draw is, who are these boys? Yeah. And they just are boys who don't like the way they look and they want to do something about it. And they want to do something about it badly enough that they want to use steroids. And trying to reconcile that data with what's going on leads me to suggest that, yeah, it is yeah. increasing. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it and very powerful. So last question, and actually I think we might have preempted it because you've just given me a packet of, how do you, what do you, how do you call them? They're Anzac biscuits. Anzac they are biscuits. the national biscuit of Australia and New Zealand. Okay, because I recommend I... all the listeners try them. <laughs> because I was going to ask you, and I tend to ask everyone that we, I speak to, because we have a, a coffee morning every Tuesday at car, and so I'm very curious to what my guests may bring to said coffee morning if they were to attend. Oh, this was remarkably easy. <laughs> no, I know, you're done. You, I would bring passed. these Anzac biscuits. Passed. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Scott. That thank was you great very much for having you. me. Thanks, Nadia. Cool. Great, that was really informative. Yeah, Scott and I actually continued talking afterwards, and I wish we had recorded it, but, you know, we did <laughs> Life. I know, <laughs> I know. But something you said that's really stayed with me was how effective steroids actually can be in terms of achieving the desired effect, so kind of to look more muscular, especially when we compare steroids to things like laxatives, which we know to be completely ineffective in terms of changing a person's body composition or appearance. I think then this makes it so much harder to dissuade people from abusing steroids once they've really started. So then, in turn, it kind of makes me think that we need so much more regular and prevention efforts to stop people turning to steroid use in the first place. Right, even more awareness raising about the dangers or undesirable side effects steroid abuse would be helpful, such as liver damage, testicular disorders, growth of breast tissue and infertility. Anyway, now time to hear from Calvin Davis, body positive influencer, blogger and model, who runs the notoriously dapper Instagram account and is an admin on Tess Holiday's F Your Beauty Standards Instagram account and community which encourages people unapologetically embracing their body and shares photos of people which reflects an inclusive range of bodies, often with messages of radical self-love and acceptance. Hi Calvin, thank you so much for being on Appearance Matters, the podcast. We're really excited to have you. So I've got a few questions. My first question is, what inspired you to get involved with the body positive community and talk about male body image? Um, well, what inspired me to do so is that my whole life, I've kind of struggled with the body image. And the fact that I didn't really know that there was a term for it 
Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a term called body shaming or um, uh, a positive term called body positivity. I just knew that I didn't feel um, like accepted and I didn't really feel like my body type was like others. I had like a lot of stretch marks. I was always a bigger kid. Um, and growing up in like a very white suburban town in the U.S., being like a person of color was uh, a big struggle as well. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I got older uh, when I actually, you know, got a little bigger and I went shopping at Express and it was my first time where I couldn't really fit into a lot of the clothing at that store. And one of the sales associates told me that um, maybe I was too big to shop there. And I remember wow. as a guy, I felt very uh, body saved and I felt very ashamed of who I was. And I re- remember thinking to myself that a lot of guys, you know, probably feel this way, but they don't have, they don't have what it takes to really come to the forefront and really express their emotions about their body and about how they feel emotionally or mentally. So I decided to make a platform and decided to, you know, make a space where guys could feel comfortable talking about body image and talking about the negative aspects of how the media portrays male bodies the same way that they portray female bodies and that men suffer from body image issues just as much as women, just that men don't talk about it because they're societally suppressed to like hide their feelings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And it's amazing that you've done that and built that platform um, for men. And also that story is so harrowing. I think it actually resonates with probably it will resonate with lots of our listeners, even if they're men or women within any kind of context where they don't feel like they quite fit in. Um, so that's a great example. But in terms of as well, like you say, with your platform, uh, what's been the reaction from other men then? Well, the reaction first started as um, confusing. A lot of guys would DM me or email me and be like, what does this even mean? Like, what do you mean a body positive men were blog? That doesn't make any sense. Like, if you're so insecure, why don't you go to the gym or do this and that? So it wasn't really, because I started my blog in 2013. Yeah. And it really wasn't until about 2000, late 2015, early 2016, where people, majorly men, started to pick up on what I was doing. Because it was right around the time the women's movement was really getting traction mm. and really picking up. And a lot of people were starting to ask the questions, well, why doesn't this exist for guys? But then a lot of guys started, you know, popping into Google or just like researching and a lot of stuff would come up about me because I was like one of the only people that was advocating for a positive body image, you know, during that time. Mm. And I would get a lot of positive emails and a lot of positive affirmations around like late 2015, early 2016. People would be like, I'm so glad you're doing this. We need a voice. Like, you're amazing. Thank you so much for, for sticking up for everybody type. And I got, like, a lot of positive feedback. But it did not start off that way at all. It started off with, like, a lot of haterade, you know, a lot of people not really accepting yeah. what I was doing. Now, as far now as, as far as the actual female audience always agree with me, they always have showed me love. I've never had any negative feedback from anybody in the female body positive movement, um, even from when I first started. You know, I used to get, like, emails and messages from all kind of women all over the world and they would tell me how much they appreciated it and how much like their husband looked like me and that their husband suffered from like the same thing and it's good to have somebody 
out there that's advocating for people that look like their husbands and look like their brothers and their dads and their uncles and all that. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And as you mentioned as well, Kelvin, um, when you started this and your blog, when people were Googling this, you were kind of the only person that would necessarily come up. And so why do you think there yeah. are relatively so few men that are actually quite actively involved in the body positive movement? I think it has a lot to do with the societal standard of masculinity. Mm. So like society has the standard of masculinity that a man isn't supposed to be emotional. A man isn't supposed to talk about how he feels, especially when it comes to body image. So a lot of men feel as if they're not supposed to talk about these things. They can feel them, but you're not supposed to speak about them. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very toxic version of masculinity. And we need to get to a space as men where when we talk about our emotions and talk about our body image and when we talk about things that bother us, it doesn't reflect negatively on who we are as men. If anything, it makes us strong and it makes us positive to be able to understand how we feel and relay those messages and try to become better people, you know? Because I feel like that's a lot of the biggest thing with masculinity in this day and age is that a lot of men are now starting to realize that silence is suffering. Mm. I mean, they're, they're, they're suffering in, in silence. Yeah. You know, and when they're able to, like, really vocalize how they feel and when they're able to let out their emotions, whether it be a cry or whether it be, you know, a little bit of anger, they feel a lot better about themselves and they feel a lot better about everything that they've been doing, you know, because, I mean, this life isn't easy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's plenty of days where people have bad days and, you know, the worst thing anybody can feel is not comfortable in who they are. When you're not comfortable 100% in who you are, whether it be your body or anything, it has a detrimental hold on you being your full potential. For sure. And as, and, and as a man, you know, being able to speak about that, you know, it starts the process of you being able to accept everything that you are and everything that you aren't. Because I feel like the biggest thing about body positivity is that people ha have to understand that it's okay to be this, but it's also okay not to be this. Like, it's okay for me to be, you know, this guy, but it's also okay for me not to be this guy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, people hmm. have this, pre have this pre pre preconceived notion that if I'm not this, then what can I be? But accepting who you are and who you are not it's like the most beautiful thing ever. Cause I mean, I, I mean, I accept the fact that I'm not a soccer player. Like I don't want to play soccer. I'm not a soccer player. So I accept the fact that I am not that. And I accept the fact that I am not like some superior athlete, but I accept, accept, accept the fact that I am a, a model that I'm a pretty good author, um, that I'm very creative and that mm. I have a really good eye for fashion and I accept those things about myself and those things are the positive affirmations that help me keep going. And I completely agree with those things as well. And I think exactly like what you said, Calvin, giving men the space, the language, the opportunity to discuss and freely have the opportunity to discuss these things and express themselves like what you're saying in, in that way is really important. And I couldn't agree more with that. So that kind of links to my other question in terms of what advice would you give to guys 
that are struggling or or are finding it difficult just to feel good in their bodies? I definitely would give them the advice of two things. My number one thing is is to surround yourself with people that are positive. Mm. Surround yourself with people that always have your best interest and that are going to be there for the long run. That are not only there temporarily. My grandmother has a saying that people come into your life for either for either a reason or for a season. And she always used to tell me, you know, you need to stick with people that are in your life for a reason. Because people that come in and out of your life for a season are not really there to help you long term. So I have always had the ability to be a good judge of character mm. and have people around me that really um, supported everything that I was doing, um, have family members that support you, that love you, and unconditional love is very important. The second thing that I would say is that you have to find something that gives you positive affirmation, whether it be a talent, whether it be an ability, whether it be anything. You have to find something that gives you that positive confidence. So if somebody is really good at drawing, they need to find that confidence in drawing, find that confidence in everything that they can do as far as creating like a sketch or anything. And once you find positive affirmations in that ability or in that talent, it's easier for you to move that confidence into who you are and into your body type because it's kind of hard to build confidence from nothing if you're not confident about anything. You have to find something to start off with. It's almost like a stepping stone, you know, like you got to take one step, another step, and, you know, confidence is like a staircase, you know. Mm. Not, I mean, some people are knocking at the door. Some people are on the first step. Some, 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 some people are like in the middle and some people all the way at the top, you know, striving for greatness, you know? So there's different levels of confidence and people have to understand that not everybody is at, is at the same level. So being able to have those positive affirmations about anything, you know, whether it be you're like a good hairdresser or like you're a good makeup artist or you know, you're like a really good mom or like you're a fantastic dad, you're a great teacher, you're a good author, you whatever, you know. You have to find the positive affirmations and the confidence in that. And once you have that, it's really easy for you to transfer that confidence into who you are and to build something so positive and confident that it, 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 that it would be very hard for anybody to tear down. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Way, it makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah, no, it's great. And I love what you said about your grandmother with um you they either stay for a reason or just for a season. That's pretty I've never heard that, but I quite like that. Um and I Thank you. <laughs> it's great. Um so I have one more <laughs> question for you, Calvin. And actually it's it's a yeah. bit of a tradition we have on the podcast. Essentially, at Car here, um, we have a coffee and cake morning every Tuesday. And so we ask every person that comes, yes, I know, it sounds great. It is great. Um, on the podcast, we ask every person, what is it that you, what cake would you bring to our coffee mornings? What kind of cake would I bring? Yeah. I would bring a red velvet cake oh. with cream cheese icing and pecans on top. I love the specificity of that. That is so specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is I would definitely yummy. bring that. 
and I would bring, I, I would definitely bring like a blonde roasted coffee, kind of like, kind of like lighter, like a light, like a lighter coffee. Um, I would bring that, and a little bit of cream, and maybe some a little, a little bit of sugar, because I would want you guys to enjoy the sugar with the red velvet cake, but then have like a little bit of like the bitterness and like the coffee to kind of like contrast. Do you oh, know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. No one's really given an addition of the coffee, but that is amazing. Um, yeah. Strong. <laughs> I love I love the flavor combination that you've got going on there. That sounds great. Um, so, well, <laughs> so if you ever want to come to our car coffee mornings, you're welcome to bring that. <laughs> oh, I would love to. One of these days when I'm in London, I'm going to, you know, make it my duty. If I'm ever in London again, which hopefully I might be for like a, um, for um, the social media conference or something. If I'm there, I would definitely contact you. Yeah. And, we'll, and we would have to link up. Yeah. We can get this, yeah, coffee and cake, velvet cake going. That sounds amazing. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much, Kevin. I really appreciate everything you said. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a, a huge pleasure. And, you know, talking about male body image is something that really is important me and my platform because you know it's 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 more about it's it's less about style and it's less about you know the fashion it's, it's about people feeling confident in who they are and you know style just so happened to help me feel confident in who i am mm. and i just want people to feel that same you know positive affirmation and that same you know confidence that i feel whenever i get dressed do you know what i mean so any way that i can help i appreciate you guys having me because appearance does matter Mm-hmm. And people need to find the positive imagery in their appearance, despite what society deems as beautiful. That's such a great message. Thank you so much, Calvin. Of course. That was such a great interview. I really enjoyed that, Jade. Love that Calvin wants to bring blonde coffee to complement his red velvet <laughs> cake to our coffee. Definitely. He was just so cool. I love listening to what he had to say. And actually, if he ever wants to come to Car Coffee, it would be great for him to bring that. <laughs> so with that, we have to wrap up this episode. So hopefully that was a useful introduction to male body image. Um, we know that we didn't touch on boys' body image, but we have a body image and children episode scheduled. Um, so we'll talk about that more then. Definitely. And you can listen to our Barbie bonus episode, though. There's a little bit about boys' body image in there. And as we said earlier, we've got an episode coming up on sexual orientation and body image. So we can unpack and explore a bit more about how different sexual orientations can affect body image concerns for men and women. Love it when we chuck in spoilers, Nadia. Um, But for now, Nadia and I, as well as the rest of the team at the Centre for Appearance Research, have to get some well-earned rest before our international conference, Appearance Matters 8, which starts tomorrow. Um, (laughs) Woohoo! Big thanks to Scott and to Kelvin for joining us on this episode of Appearance Matters, the podcast. As always, we'll include links to the show notes so you can find out more about their work definitely and join us next time when we have something a bit different so a little treat for you guys then 